0: Welcome to another show. Today on Navigating the Cancer Maze, my very special guest is a pioneer for whole person advocacy in what we now know as integrative oncology. And I think such a well-credentialed guest deserves a very thorough introduction. A researcher, educator and planner, she's worked in alternative and complementary integrative medicine and the psychosocial aspects of cancer care for now more than 25 years. She's President of the International Society for Integrative Oncology and Founding Editor-in-Chief of its journal, the Journal of the Society for Integrative Oncology. She's also a founding member of the Advisory Council to the National Institutes of Health, Office of Alternative Medicine, now the National Centre for the Complementary and Alternative Medicine. After completing a term on the American Cancer Society National Board of Directors, she is now the ACS Eastern Division board member. She's a member of the ACS, other federal, national and international panels and committees and now at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Centre as the principal investigator of several research studies funded by the National Institutes of Health and also heads one of five NIH supported botanical research centres. The centre investigates immune modulating, botanical supplements, their composition, mechanisms of action, and clinical value. And I don't think this guest must have a lot of spare time. <laughs> Welcome to Navigating the Cancer Maze, Dr. Barry Kosellis.
1: Thank you so much, Grace. It's a great pleasure to be with you.
0: It is a great pleasure to interview you. You have been a very hardworking advocate for integrative oncology and, uh, of course, the psychosocial as well as complementary care Um, Mary, we always invite our guests to share some of their story, uh, some of the events that changed their life path and resulted in them working with cancer. Can you share with us something significant about your life event that uh, encouraged you to become an advocate for patients and families with cancer?
1: Yes, I, I think actually it was very straightforward and simple. Um, when I was completing my second doctoral dissertation, my first one was all but dissertation in psychology, clinical psychology, but because my husband was was recruited into the Army at that point, we moved and I couldn't finish my dissertation, so I ended up uh, eventually with him at the University of Pennsylvania, where I completed my doctoral dissertation because I, I had excellent access since my former husband was the head of the inpatient leukemia unit to, to that unit. And I finished my second doctoral program and its dissertation, I, by work in that unit. I met on a regular basis, virtually daily, sometimes all day, every day, you know, all, every, every day of the week with patients, family members, and staff. And I became very moved and um, interested in the difficulties that they were all facing. I, I it led me to down the path that I continued over all of these years and decades. And it actually that dissertation uh, eventuated in my first book, which was called. Uh, cancer, the social and medical aspects of care. This was a long time ago, and I believe it was the very first book that came out dealing with other than the medical aspects of care. So this dealt with the, the psychological problems, the interrelationship problems, the doctor-patient interactions, the caregivers, the families that had to deal with these very terrible, often fatal illnesses uh, which struck people of all ages, but particularly young adults. So, you know, the various leukemias, we've come a long way since then, but... Um, uh, including very recently a, a, a breakthrough piece of information came through which was headlines in all the newspapers I'm sure around the world that they have found a way to tease so to speak white cells from an individual to have those white cells kill uh, acute leukemia cells and uh, the patients who were at death's door so far are doing just fine. So this is a huge scientific breakthrough. I was dealing with it years ago when there were no scientific breakthroughs and people always, virtually always died. Very few survived. So that's how I got involved and maintained and grew and expanded an interest in the problems and the issues, the physical, emotional, social, interactional, and so on, challenges that face cancer patients, their families, and the people who take care of them.
0: I think uh, what you've brought up there is a really important uh, issue actually if we're talking about uh, the psycho-oncology of the past and how that actually helped a lot of cancer patients to survive and I think now with uh, what you've just said about the leukemia, if you add the psychosocial aspects of psycho-oncology to that, it does give patients such an excellent opportunity for survivorship.
1: Absolutely, for the first time. So that's groundbreaking, and I think that we are seeing kind of an evolution in basic science that, along with complementary modalities, including attention to psychosocial needs, uh, will will provide a wonderful package because we're going to be seeing better treatments, more cures. And uh, a greater attention to what I've been pushing all these years, which which is a focus on the physical and emotional symptoms that cancer patients and their family members and staff who take care of them, including the physicians, all face.
0: Yeah, fantastic. I'm aware you are quite a pioneer, and. Uh I was reading that you documented um, the popularity and growth of complementary and alternative medicine methods used by cancer patients via a first national survey of its kind. Can you tell us about the results of that and how that information has contributed to your work today at Memorial Sloan Kettering?
1: Well, that for me was a very important project because what what it showed me, first of all, was the vast difference between, quote, alternative and uh, complementary or integrative therapies. There are no viable alternatives to mainstream cancer care. But there is a huge business in bogus products and therapies for cancer patients who are desperate sometimes, who want to avoid surgery, chemotherapy, and radiation, which has an excellent cure rate for most cancers. Um, so years ago, we didn't know very much about any of this. And all, at least in, in the United States, the all of the... Um, unproven methods, complementary therapies, and so on, were underground. No one had any sense of what was going on. So we conducted an underground survey. Uh, we had hundreds of uh, visits. We promised people that we'd not re- we reveal the names of those running these underground clinics. And we obtained a huge amount of information, and we had major publications that came out of uh, that effort. And it, it taught us that people are desperate, that they are frequently taken in by claims that have no backing, and also that some of the things that they sought were not, quote, alternatives to mainstream treatment, but rather adjuncts or complementary now called integrative medicine or therapies, which dealt with their symptoms. Because cancer patients get treated for the disease, but I believe and I've always believed as a consequence of my earliest experiences that we must pay attention not only to the disease but also to the psychosocial uh, uh, components, to the side effects, to the symptoms, to the pain, to the and so on and so on. You've answered
0: my very next question. Actually, where I was going to ask you why uh, specifically, because you had this psychosocial interest in the beginning, um, that you chose the area of
1: alternative and complementary medicine.
0: Have you got anything that you'd just like to add to that?
1: Well, I would like to add that I don't. I don't promote alternatives. I battle alternatives because they are essentially quackery. So I spend much of my time, probably. You know the, the majority of my time uh, promoting the idea of symptom control of improving the patient's potential for survival and for cure by the use of complementary modalities or integrative therapies, including psychosocial interventions and the, and then a portion of my time fighting quackery. I work a lot with the government of the United States and some other countries uh, trying to uh, get rid of some of these things that are milking patients out of millions of dollars, probably billions of dollars a year. So I I I do I, I work on both ends of this. I'm not sure that's answering your question, Grace. What did I fail to talk about? No,
0: no, it actually answers it very well. Um, I think we come from a very similar aspect in this. We, we actually uh, have a practice that we call Alt-Med Rescue in Australia because we are seeing the results of what you've just spoken about, both in the, the psychological and physiological issues that a patient has and particularly in the stress also that's created with people spending well over $100,000 sometimes who come to see me, uh, and they've spent this on treatments that are really not going to make very much difference at all.
1: That's correct. In the United States, it's a $40 billion a year business, cancer quackery. Wow. And it's it's very similar uh, in terms of cost in other countries, in other particularly well-developed countries like Australia. It's very similar in cost in financial costs, but just think of what it costs the patient because all too often we see patients who decided that they're, they're taken in by something they saw on the internet or, or a neighbor told them, oh, don't bother getting surgery for that problem. You can just come here and take our, our wonderful cancer cure that my neighbor developed in his basement and that is a literal example. Um, and so patients do that for a while and they realize they're not getting better and by the time they... Turn around and seek help they're really beyond any assistance and they don't survive and this is a tragedy because we we have in the United States and I think it's similar in Australia something like a 66% and growing cure rate for all cancers across the board that is remarkable so we don't want people to lose the opportunity to get well and so we go after that from every possible angle
0: that's a very good note to finish on, uh, Barry, before we go to the break. So don't go away. We're coming back with more of Navigating the Cancer Maze with Dr. Barry Casillas. Back soon. Grace Gawler here, and we're back with Dr. Barry Casillas today from Memorial Sloan Kettering, and we're talking about complementary and alternative medicines. Before we go and actually have a look at what some of those... Um, complementary medicines are as well as the alternative medicines that are ones best to steer clear of, I'd just like to ask you um, about the hospital that you created, the Integrative Medicine Service. Um, the multifaceted program. So you've got inpatient therapies at Memorial Hospital, outpatient services at, at Bentheim Integrative Medicine Center. Well, we
1: have our own little building. It's, it's an old bank, and that entire bank is our building where we see patients, outpatients on the top floor, and uh, we have a fitness program which we uh, use the building for. And, and all of us who work here, there are more than 60 people in my department, 60. I have their offices here when they're not seeing inpatients or outpatients or whatever.
0: So for people who are listening in today who are in the U.S. and perhaps not only on the east coast of America, how can they contact the center?
1: The easiest way to contact the center is to go first to go into the website to see what it's about. And the website is MSKCC, stands for Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, MSKCC.org/slash/integrative medicine, all one word, and that will bring up a website which gives a great deal of information as well as contact information concerning our inpatient and outpatient services, our extensive research, um, our training programs for professional which we have many of, and other pieces of information. So that, that's a, a good source of information. And to contact Sloan Kettering, which, uh, it, which draws people from all over the world, uh, patients as well as trainees, physicians who want further training, um, it, it depends on what you need. But if you go into the main mskcc.org website, Mm-hmm. You can look up a particular diagnosis or a particular field or whatever interests you, and there will be um, access to that. If people uh, are interested, if there are physicians listening who are interested in our training program, we have a fellowship for for physicians where they they stay with us for a period of time after completing um, an internet course, which is called Integrative Oncology for Physicians. And if that is an interest, I will, I will give you my email, but really we have to limit it for that purpose, but my email is my full last name, CASSILETH, C-A-S-S-I-L-E-T-H, at mskcc.org.
0: Fantastic. We might repeat that towards the end of the show, particularly the one for patients, uh, because I can imagine that a lot of people are going to be very interested in accessing the information and services. Um, Leading into our next question, um, the sorts of uh, products that are out and about that are a problem uh, for patients because we see a lot of patients and families racing to the internet soon after the diagnosis, they're trying to be expert researchers and they often uh, fall prey to many of these products. So what advice do you have for the newly diagnosed patients and well-meaning family and friends And what are some of these real problem uh, areas and supplements and uh, substances for cancer patients?
1: Yes, it's such a good point. There are so many well-meaning family members and friends who will say, you know, before you do something dramatic like have surgery to take out a tumor, go on the Internet and look at these wonderful sites that tell you you can do things much more easily. Uh, for example, that's just what Steve Jobs did. Steve Jobs, uh, who, as you know, is the head of Apple, um, had the only potentially curable kind of pancreatic cancer and instead of going to a proper place to get treated he followed a rigorous diet and things of that kind and he died totally unnecessarily Everyone in medicine knows this. It is public knowledge. What a sin. Such a brilliant man. Someone like Steve Jobs could be taken in. We can all be taken in. So I would urge your listeners to be very careful about what you read online. You know, in, in the 17th century, there was a wonderful artist named Jan Steen. 17th century. That's quite a long time ago. And he painted a picture of something that he called the charlatan or quack salver. That is where we get the term quackery from all those years ago. That's how long it's been around. How interesting. And if you go on the Internet and you put in alternative therapies and cancer, you will get literally millions of hits. Mm. There are many categories of useless bogus therapies. For example, in the United States and in South America and probably elsewhere as well, there are healers who claim to have the ability to sit across a table from a patient and have their healing energy go from their bodies into the patient's body and cure the cancer. That is total nonsense. That's a quick way to get dead. You don't (laughs) want to do that. There are also hundreds if not thousands of um dietary supplements herbal cures and so on SAAC is a, is a particularly famous one in north america i don't know whether that's popular in australia but i guarantee it that is. Oh, it is. Okay, so Essiac is the last name of uh, a woman uh, whose, whose first name was Cass. It's spelled backwards. It was her last name spelled backwards. And she got a recipe, this herbal recipe for originally four herbs from a Native American healer many decades ago. Uh, and, and so they have promoted this through various books, which still come out periodically, new books claiming other things for Essiac. It has zero value it's been looked at then you have a totally different category uh, for example um, oxygen therapies so the people who promote oxygen therapies don't know that apparently that we get oxygen as humans by breathing they think that we get it from other ways and so they have these oxygen therapies where they treat people with oxygen it, ha- it is just absurd it has no value and and it costs if you get it it's not legal in the United States uh but it is legal in Mexico and so if you go across the border and get oxygen therapy for example you you pay 20 to 30 thousand dollars for a 100% useless ridiculous thera- quote therapy uh, then there are things like laotril or also called amygdalin or it's a fake vitamin name that was it was given vitamin B17, and the, uh, this is a substance made from apricot pits, which was popular oh about 40 years ago. But it was very well studied and in, in very careful trials done by two, trial, two big trials done by the Mayo Clinic and found to be totally useless. On top of that, the um, apricot pits contain cyanide, so it's not it's not even healthy. So so um, after the studies came out, was quiescent, but now it's come back again. In the past five years or so, it's become increasingly popular and a, a whole new uh breed of cancer patients and family members are being taken in by that i'll give you one more example of, of, of a therapy that's totally useless but quite popular and it's only thirty thousand um, dollars it's called bioresonance therapy and in this therapy you go to uh, this practitioner and there's a little radio like box sitting on the table with a lead coming out of each side and the patient holds a lead in each hand. This is an electronic wire sort of and the practitioner juggles the dials on this radio like machine and presumably some energy goes into the patient and kills the cancer cells. Well, if you do this, you're going to kill yourself because you're wasting important time. You don't want to go in that direction. Uh, One easy, quick way – I'll give you two easy, quick ways to find out whether something someone's urging you to try or something you read about on the Internet can be evaluated – One is a wonderful website called quackwatch.org, quackwatch.org. Another is our Memorial Sloan Kettering website, which is part of the mskcc.org slash about herbs. This is a free website. It's about herbs, other dietary supplements, vitamins, bogus products. It's about absolutely anything and everything that a cancer patient might want to know or a family member might want to know. So I, there's also a free app for that. This website, the Sloan Kettering About Herbs website, has two portals. One is for professionals and the other is for the public. And anyone can enter either portal at no cost. Moreover, if there's something that you need to know about that's not in there, we have an email address. You can email us, and we will evaluate it, study it, and put together an entry on, on that particular um, object or herb or whatever it might be.
0: That is a fantastic service.
1: It is. Thank you. And We, we, we have never promoted it, but we get over 2 million hits a year from all over the world. I think it's
0: particularly valuable. I was about to uh, just mention that uh, last year I saw my first patient, I see a lot of people who've done apricot kernels, actually saw my first patient, and this was confirmed by liver biopsy, who actually had toxic liver from apricot kernels, and it's one of the most common things that people out there are using as a cancer cure. She was unable to have her medical treatment because they actually had to treat the liver for such a long time. This young lady had breast cancer.
1: Well, a lot, of, a lot of curable, potentially curable patients are dead because they went that route, not just Laotril, but the, and any of the other hundreds of, of bogus therapies that are out there, heavily promoted.
0: It's uh, interesting, Barry, how these things recycle, isn't it? Um, and viral. They go quiet, as you said, and then they raise their head again. And uh, I think if people are aware of that, they also just might be a little bit sus that you know they're on that cycle.
1: Well, it's absolutely true it does cycle because what happens they're waiting for another generation of patients i mean, i remember very clearly about 10 years ago when um uh, was completely dead no one used it because the data were so clear so everyone at that point gave it up but i remember very clearly i was actually at an american cancer society board meeting and someone paged me urgently from Sloan Kettering was a young oncologist who said, my patient is on something called Leotril. Did you ever hear of that? So this was a young physician who had never heard of it and it taught me that it was back again. And, and that is exactly what happens. So every maybe 30 or so years, it's a new generation of patients, a new generation of doctors, and these people have, have the gall to come back and And, you know, push it again. The the uh, FDA and the FTC, other government agencies in the United States, tried to shut those um, ads down. And, And the Laetrile ad many years ago was shut down. And then they turned right around and they opened another one called Apricots from God.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, listeners, you've been told <laughs> and you have a very good resource now. We're about to take uh, another break on navigating the cancer maze and we'll be back with my very special guest today, Dr. Barry Casillas. Don't go away.
1: Well, that's a great question. Um, the fact is we have to be very careful about dietary supplements, particularly herbs and, and the like, because we have to worry about herb-drug interactions. The majority... Mm-hmm. Of Cancer patients are older, older people tend to be on prescription medication if you 're on prescription medication, you must be very, very careful, especially about taking herbs because they herb drug interactions are a very serious problem, and um, there, are, there are many, probably most herbal compounds that actually interfere with the ability for example of of chemotherapy. To get its full effect on the body uh, there are many herbs that interfere with coagulation of the blood so people have died on the operating table because they took herbs in preparation for surgery and um, there there are lots of untoward effects. so we have to please be conscious of herb drug interactions there are a few dietary supplements that can be recommended because there's there's some good research behind them um, for example a turmeric or its active ingredient, which is called curcumin, many people are very familiar with this. Have anti-inflammatory uh, effects, and those can be very, very helpful in the cancer setting. And they do not have negative effects. That's been it's been pretty well studied. Either turmeric or curcumin. Again, turmeric, its active ingredient is called curcumin, but sometimes they switch the names uh, um, in the. Uh, Drugstores and other places where these are sold. Secondly, um, it doesn't have necessarily a um, an effect on the cancer, but green tea or ECGC, which is the active ingredient in green tea, has important cardiovascular benefits. So, you know, people are weakened by cancer treatment, and it and taking some green tea is not a bad idea. Uh, vitamin D, I'm not sure that this holds for Australia, but in most parts of the United States, we don't get enough sun. And vitamin D levels are much too low. So if you are concerned about this, you should have your vitamin D levels tested. Vitamin, G, uh, vitamin D gel tabs are safe and they may be very helpful, especially for people who live in areas of the world where they don't get sun every day. And then finally, uh, something that we've been studying now for many years, which which I can tell you about, and that is medicinal mushroom extracts. These are not herbs. Um, mushrooms are fungi. They're not herbs. And so you don't have to worry about herb-drug interactions. In fact, uh, medicinal mushroom extracts are very useful, uh, used along with chemotherapy. They don't get in the way. They may help it. So there are are about five or six major medicinal mushrooms, uh, mushroom extracts, which are for sale in, in everywhere in health food stores and pharmacies and so on. And these are important because they can enhance immune function. Obviously, if you're allergic to mushrooms, you can't take these extracts. But um the the five or six major ones like mitaki, Coriolis, shiitake, cordyceps and so on, um can uh enhance immune function and that may be very important. You have to take the right dosage. The dosage is usually on the bottle, um and be careful you don't take too much or too too little. I, so that's, that's something very good to just keep in the back of your, your head for everyone. It, it's, uh, it can be useful for people who are, who are healthy as well as people who are trying to battle something like cancer.
0: You've touched on a number of very important aspects there, the herb-drug interactions in particular, how to avoid them, and the types of uh, products that people can use. So I presume if they pop onto the website uh, for Memorial Sloan Kettering Uh, they will find uh, access to those particular things you've just been speaking about.
1: We have over 260 entries and uh, they're updated constantly and added to constantly. And the the ones that I mentioned plus several hundred more are right there on the website and uh, you you will get a, a very good summary and if you want more detail it's in there as well uh, to, to give you a better understanding of why you should avoid some things and why others might be potentially useful depending where you are in the, in the continuum of a cancer treatment maybe you're finished with treatment and therefore that would leave you open to taking something that might be helpful uh, in the way of an herbal compound that which you should not not ne- ever take if you're on prescription medication and that goes not all prescription medication is not just chemotherapy it's any kind of prescription medication mm. so be, be uh, conscious of that
0: I like to ask a particular question because it's been very hard to actually find uh, information on this but as we're talking about it coffee enemas Do you have total, a, a
1: total view? nonsense <laughs>
0: Have you studied them? Uh, Gerson Diet has recommended them. Other diets do. Many, many patients are, are using these.
1: Okay, this is another perfect example of something that was popular 40 years ago, very well studied, found to be ridiculous and indeed harmful in many ways, and it disappeared, and now it's back again.
0: Yeah, it's back with a vengeance.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's totally useless. It's dangerous. It will not help. It can only hurt. Don't mm. do it thank you for that. Um,
0: Chinese traditional medicines and Ayurvedic medicines, they're really popular now in our Caucasian society. Have you studied those medicines in relation to cancer treatments as well um, and are there side effects as you've just been talking about with the, with the other dangers of perhaps the more Western style of herbs?
1: Well, there, there is a danger with anything you take in your mouth. So if it's an herb, whether it's an ancient herb from China or whether it's a modern herb or whether it's something that somebody just invented, it's not a good idea unless you check it out and find out that it's, it's indeed safe. We have a very heavy emphasis on traditional Chinese medicine, but not necessarily the herbs, although we have looked at some. We have found, in fact, that the most uh, useful um, uh, product that you take by mouth with the medicinal mushroom extracts. And in the past, say, nine years, we have done many studies and worked very hard to find the proper dosage and to see how it could be effective or where it might be problematic. So we have found that is A better approach for us. We found that if you, if you go to the side of herbs and herbal compounds, you run into too many problems. They're, they're not produced at a high enough uh, level so that they're not always pure, and they most importantly can interfere with prescription medication. So when it when it comes to that area of uh, traditional Chinese medicine or Ayurvedic medicine or any of the world's traditional medicines, um, we prefer to focus on things other than what you put in your mouth. So, for example, we have a a, a very strong acupuncture research program, and we have published many papers on the value of acupuncture. It doesn't work for everything in the world, but it it uh, treats xerostomia, for example, which is extreme dry mouth that people with head and neck cancer experience because their salivary glands are destroyed by the treatment for the cancer. And actually, uh, when people don't have the ability, because their salivary glands are destroyed, when they don't have the ability to swallow or speak. It makes them social recluses. It's a miserable life. But we published a major paper. It it went viral uh, a few years ago with our head and neck department, with the head of the head and neck department, and showed that acupuncture brings back salivation and can actually reverse xerostomia or extreme dry mouth. We are also... Uh, about to publish our um, third article uh, showing that acupuncture can reduce lymphedema. Lymphedema is extreme swelling of the arm after axillary node dissection for breast cancer. And there is absolutely nothing that permanently reduces circumference of a lymphedematous arm. But acupuncture did in our studies now we're just embarking on a huge randomized trial to really test this with greater care but we have three publications as i said that showed in each case with a larger population of breast cancer patients number 1 there were Zero difficulties, no negative side effects, no problems, no infections, nothing to worry about. As people have been worried for years that if you stick a needle in a lymphedematous arm, you could cause infections and so on. That's not the case with acupuncture needles because they are sterile, they are single-use, they're very thin, and they do not create any problems, but they they did in the studies that we performed, reduce the circumference of the arm. We haven't done it in legs yet, but uh, in terms of a study, but a couple of uh, people who had leg lymphedema as a consequence of GYN surgery um, did try acupuncture for it. They came to us for acupuncture and they actually reduced the swelling in their legs, but we haven't studied that in a group, so I can't I can't really recommend it. That's an anecdotal report. But the, rest, the breast is not an anecdotal report. We have solid data on that, and we'll have even more solid data when we finish the large randomized trial that's about to begin. So um, ac- acupuncture is very helpful for pediatrics. For, uh, all kinds of problems, for stress, for, uh, nausea, uh, you know, there, there, there are many symptoms that cancer patients experience, uh, during treatment and after treatment that acupuncture can help with. So that's, that is our favorite part of, uh, a TCM, traditional Chinese medicine.
0: I think you've just made many of my clients very happy (laughs) with lymphedema, with head and neck cancer. Um, That's very, very useful information because they have been actually warned off by their practitioners from doing acupuncture. Um, We're going to have to go to another break, our last break on navigating the cancer maze today. We'll be back very shortly and we'll be back speaking with Dr. Barry Kassilis on more interesting things in the world of Complementary Therapies. Don't go away. Hi, Grace Gawler here. We're back with our last segment of Navigating the Cancer Maze. I'm going to move straight into this question. I don't want to run short of time today with uh, Dr. Barry Kassileth. Um Can you tell us, based on your experience and research, about the other kinds of complementary therapies you touched into it with acupuncture before we went to the break, what other complementary therapies uh, are proven to actually help
1: people affected by cancer? Okay, well let me just give you a list and then talk about a few specifically. So the rest of the of the list is massage therapy, mind body therapies, music therapy, fitness, diet and nutrition. And plus acupuncture, that is the totality of what we look at in terms of integrative modalities that we study and that we use. So let me talk just a little bit about two of them, briefly about mind-body therapies to start. I very strongly believe that we should give patients tools with which they can help themselves. So we do have um, therapists who are just superb who see inpatients and outpatients and work with them uh, with meditation, with a deeper form of meditation called self-hypnosis and so on. But we also have a free um, podcast or webcast. I am not sure of the difference, actually. But on the Morris Sloan Kettering website, you can easily find either a podcast or webcast on um, self-hypnosis. And you can use that and learn it. And then use it as a tool whenever you can't fall asleep or you're under great stress or you're waiting for surgery or you're waiting for an important test result. You can just take that out and put yourself in a very calm state by by simple, simply learning this and applying it. So I think that's extremely valuable. Um, I'll skip over everything else and go to fitness because I think that this is probably, in a way, the most important thing that we can offer. And the reason for that is it is the one complementary or integrative modality that actually has a survival benefit. There is no question about it. The research has shown very clearly for breast patients – for colorectal cancer patients, probably for prostate pa- patients as well, and probably for other cancer patients, that if you engage in physical activity, you have up to a 61% better chance of survival. That's extraordinary. Mm. That's better than most chemotherapeutic agents. <laughs> so why not do it? You have to do it properly, though. Uh, the general um, recommendation In the United States and in all of North America, which you probably have something very similar in Australia, is walk briskly 20 minutes a day, five days a week. And that's better than nothing, but it is probably not as good as more intense exercise, doing it less frequently at a greater intensity obviously something that's consistent with you know your strength but your strength if you engage in any kind of regular physical activity will increase very rapidly even if you're in the middle of getting cancer treatment we would encourage we do encourage every patient be when they're first diagnosed through treatment and throughout survivorship get up and out walk briskly as fast as you can Take a breath, sit down, relax, try it again. Do it in spurts. That seems to work extremely well. But if all you can do is walk briskly 15, 20 minutes a day for most days of the week, you are putting yourself way ahead of the game. And that's extremely important and probably the most important message that that I can leave uh, for all of your listeners.
0: That is very good advice indeed. And I think when people are doing exercise, particularly in the outdoors, it's very good for them psychologically and emotionally as well.
1: Oh, absolutely. But can you imagine that it it enhances the survival possibility enormously? Sometimes it doubles it.
0: I think that would be news for a lot of people. And uh, the other advantage is it's very cheap. (laughs)
1: <laughs> That's right. Doesn't cost anything.
0: <laughs> Doesn't cost anything except your intention and will to actually do it. Um, you mentioned diets there a couple of times, and I know I've had some patients who have been doing intensive exercise but have also been doing pretty well fed diets. The commonest question and my patients uh, have actually begged me to ask you this question um, about the difference between the Mediterranean diet's value for cancer patients and the popular ketogenic diet. I've looked on your site, I can't find anything about ketogenic diet.
1: Okay, the, the problem is um, that the, a particular kind of diet has to do with the particular specific individual's situation. And the reason that you're not finding anything about the ketogenic diet is that there hasn't been any research yet. There, there, and we have no tests for it. And whether the ketogenic diet is, is, uh, helpful will depend entirely on each patient's particular metabolic status and needs. And we don't even have tests for it yet. Also, each patient's needs are going to change during cancer treatment and if the cancer progresses, they're going to change even further then. The the only insight we have at this stage of the game, and there's a lot of research that will go on, I don't know that there's a lot going on now, there's re- very little going on now, but that's going to intensify. Uh, the, the suggestion is that the most patients who are most likely to benefit from a ketogenic diet are patients with glioblastoma and certain other brain cancer subtypes subtypes but that seems most promising but we don't know how to define it in each patient yet so that's what the ketogenic diet is the the what what we can recommend is, um, it's very difficult to recommend anything because the patient's diagnosis and that particular patient will need something that's very different from the patient near that patient with a different, uh, different status or a different cancer diagnosis. Mm-hmm. But for example, um, the Mediterranean diet uh, is generally a healthful diet and that's why it's promoted because lots of vegetables and so on. But on the other hand, there are uh, low-carb diets with high fat and high, high protein which may be useful for patients who have insulin resistance and diabetes such as most or many breast cancer patients and other hormone-related cancers. So one recommendation that we can make for sure is this kind of ties everything together if you're, if you're a cancer patient of any kind and you're getting chemotherapy, eat very lightly on the chemotherapy days, you'll get through it much more easily.
0: Good advice. I think what's becoming very clear, there's no one size fits all and in fact many of the alternative medicines that we have and the diets do assume it's a one size fits all and now we're looking at a more personalized approach. Uh, to cancer therapy. We've got about two minutes left, um, unfortunately. This has gone very fast today. I would like you to uh, tell us about your latest book. I think it's The Complete Guide to Complementary Therapies in Cancer
1: Care. Yes. Um, oh, thank you for asking me about it. Uh, th- this this is a book that I wrote specifically to answer a lot of the questions that cancer patients and family members have. And it, it's sort of... Um, an opportunity to look up dozens and dozens and dozens of things that you've heard about some of them good some of them not so good and read about them learn what they are and decide on that basis whether you you want to go forward with it so it's it's an easy read uh it's a, is a fairly it's not a short book but it's you can use it sort of as a mini encyclopedia if you want to you want to learn whether i don't know some some particular dietary supplement works, or whether music therapy—how does music therapy work? Or is humor therapy something worth pursuing? You know, any, any questions along those lines or is massage therapy good? Is it harmful? Does, can it help? Under what circumstances can it help? You can just look up massage therapy or look up acupuncture or look up acupressure or look up any of the things that you've heard about and want to know more about to make sure that they are useful and safe.
0: Okay, we have about 30 seconds left. And uh, where can people get hold of this book?
1: The book is on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. And um, I I, I don't know why, I I think anyone could find it on either of those two websites. Uh, You could also contact us at uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. Uh, it's, uh, it's, again, mskcc.org slash integrative medicine. There is some contact information there. Uh, you can contact me. You can contact anyone in the integrative medicine department, and uh, we will be able to help. Fantastic.
0: Well, thank you, Dr. Barry Casillas, being very gracious with your time today on navigating the cancer maze and providing invaluable information for cancer patients
1: and families. Thank you, Grace. It's been a great pleasure.
0: And we will be back again on Navigating the Cancer Maze. Check in with the website for the next exciting episode. We'll see you soon. Bye for now.